Do you believe in mind control? Do you think someone could wipe your brain and reprogram it to do their bidding? What if the government had the power to turn anyone it wanted into a mindless automaton, a human puppet willing to carry out the most base and twisted demands of an unchecked power? Sounds like science fiction, right? Don't be so sure. Welcome to Strange and Unexplained with me, Daisy Egan. I'm a writer and an actor who is usually so distrustful of their government that at this point, nothing nefarious it does would surprise me. So when we catch them doing some really awful shit, it's hard to believe our leaders next time when they go, who, me? I would never. Because the receipts are there, honey. This week, we'll learn about two conspiracies in which our own government was accused of scrambling the brains of its own citizens. One true, the other, well, I don't know. Maybe you can decide. Incidentally, if I end up mysteriously dead next week, it was definitely Uncle Sam or one of his human robots. Mind control has long been a fascination with us mind-having humans. It stands to reason that one of our biggest fears is losing control over the one thing we really have any control over, ourselves. It is the subject of countless books and movies, from The Manchurian Candidate to the Jason Bourne franchise and Jordan Peele's masterpiece Get Out to the most harrowing depiction of mind control, Naked Gun. Dominique, service for two, please. I must kill Papschmeer. Will that be with cream and sugar, sir? The topic of mind control, whether by an evil regime or racist in-laws, is a bottomless well of anxiety of which we endlessly plumb the depths. Of course, lots of people the world over have had their bodily autonomy wrested from them through unjust laws passed by power-hungry politicians, whether through chattel slavery or laws that dictate what we can and cannot do with our own bodies. The fear of losing control is a founded one. And why wouldn't a government that has proven its intentions to control its populace time and time again go so far as to figure out how to literally control its populace through brainwashing and mind control. After all, we know for a fact they already have. In the fall of 1950, the Miami Daily News ran a startling piece by journalist Edward Hunter with the sensational headline, Brainwashing Tactics Force Chinese into Ranks of Communist Party in which Hunter claimed the Chinese government was hypnotizing its citizens into mindless communist automatons. How else, I guess, could anyone explain why millions of people would subscribe to a philosophy other than good old American-style capitalism? Er, I mean, democracy. Brainwashing, Hunter explained, was a word-for-word translation of the Chinese term Zhi Nao, or wash brain, which was a process allegedly used by the Chinese to transform so-called reactionary people into right-thinking members of the Communist Party. According to Hunter, these reactionary people could be anyone from students to professors to soldiers, reporters, printers, criminals, or deacons of the church— This was the first time the American public had been introduced to the term brainwashing, but the fear of communism and of communists infiltrating our country wasn't a novel concept. 
According to the Smithsonian Magazine, four years before Hunter made these claims, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce had, quote, proposed removing liberals, socialists, and communists from places like schools, libraries, newspapers, and entertainment, end quote. Could you imagine the government today trying to police the political views of teachers and journalists? Cough, cough. Despite Hunter's warnings that the Chinese were creating an army of human robots, the American people weren't too concerned, perhaps because of something that used to be taught in schools called critical thinking skills. Perhaps it was because Hunter was a little hard to take seriously. His article included a supposed transcript of a conversation he'd had with a Chinese informant who, he explained, had been brainwashed but not well enough, and who basically tells Hunter that Hunter wouldn't be a good candidate for brainwashing because he was, wait for it, too smart. But then, in 1953, some American POWs from the Korean War began to make some pretty terrifying confessions that brought fears of brainwashing to the forefront of many Americans' minds. The first was Colonel Frank Schwabel, who in 1952 became the highest-ranking American soldier to be captured by the Koreans. Schwabel and other American POWs falsely confessed to the Koreans to using germ warfare, dropping everything from anthrax to, quote, the plague, on civilians in Korea. And this fed into the brainwashing narrative. How else could they get a false confession from someone other than to wipe out their minds and plant new information? But knowing what we know about torture and false confessions, it's not hard to believe that the enemy could torture a POW into admitting almost anything. People will say a lot to get out of being tortured. So brainwashing might be a little tinfoil hatty for me. But then, when some 5,000 of 7,200 Korean War POWs either petitioned the U.S. government to end the war, fun fact, the Korean War never actually ended. It's still going. There was a treaty signed in 53 to stop fighting, but it never officially ended. Or signed confessions to war crimes. The American public started to get real worried. And then, 23 American soldiers refused to repatriate after the war. Now that's some shit. According to a New Yorker piece by Brendan McNally from 2013, the 23 soldiers were part of a larger group of American POWs, quote, dubbed progressives, soldiers who had signed petitions, written letters, and made speeches denouncing American involvement in the war. Some had gone even further, informing on their fellow detainees, participating in propaganda films, and even donning enemy uniforms, end quote. Most of the men ended up returning home, facing the consequences of their treason and trying to live out their lives as anonymously as possible. But at least one American soldier never came back and chose to live out his life in China and the country formerly known as Czechoslovakia. The U.S. military denied engaging in the kind of war crimes the American POWs were confessing to and couldn't explain why their soldiers would confess to such things. Indeed, McNally describes in the New Yorker piece the conditions at the POW camps, which were pretty awful. With a death rate of 43% and with captors withholding food and medicine, where McNally writes, quote, Soldiers turned on one another with the strong preying on the weak and sick. There were countless instances of assault and even murder. You had a choice to make. Am I going to cooperate with these guys or am I going to resist and hope for the best? 
end quote. It's easy enough for Bob and Roberta Q. America to go, tisk tisk tisk. they must have been brainwashed, why I would never turn on my country like that, when the truth is probably a lot murkier and harder to define. And one has no idea how one might respond to torture until one's proverbial toenails are being pried from their proverbial toes with a set of proverbial rusty pliers. But Bob and Roberta Q. America's hand-wringing over foreign governments turning American troops against us may have been misdirected. It turns out the call was coming from inside the house. In 1953, CIA Director Alan Dulles signed off on a top-secret CIA program that sounded more like something out of an Orson Welles novel than from the very real pages of history of our own government. Following the troubling reports from the Korean War, Americans had convinced themselves that the only plausible explanation for the POW's confessions was that they had been brainwashed. Well, the Americans were not about to be beat out by the communists in the great brainwashing race. If the communists were going to brainwash Americans, why, the American government would brainwash their own damn citizens. Thank you very much. The project was called MKUltra. Turns out MK specified the division of the CIA sponsoring the program, so not many kittens like I was hoping it meant. Ultra denoted the most secret level of intelligence, although blogger and conspiracy theorist Ron Patton claims MK may possibly stand for Mind Kontrolle. The obvious translation of the German word Kontrolle into English is control. <laughs> Obviously, though why they wouldn't have called it Geistkontrolle, using the German word for mind, is beyond me. Or just MC for plain old straightforward mind control, though Lord knows MC Ultra sounds more like an EDM DJ you'd find at a second-rate casino off the strip than a top-secret government brainwashing project. MKUltra recruited more than 150 participants in experiments testing the effects of psychedelic drugs, paralytics, and electroshock therapy. But get this, not all the participants in MKUltra were aware of their participation. According to the History Channel website, quote, sometimes the test subjects knew they were participating in a study, but at other times they had no idea, even when the hallucinogens started taking effect, end quote. Listen, I once smoked weed that I had no idea until later was laced with PCP, and let me tell you, it was an awful experience. At least I knew I had taken some kind of drug. I was able to piece it together the next day when my friends all reported the same awful trip. But could you imagine not knowing you'd taken a drug at all and suddenly you're down the fucking rabbit hole and you just have to assume you've gone completely crazy? Not cool. But that's precisely what the government was going for. With Dr. Sidney Gottlieb at the helm, the program tested the potential of LSD as a psychological torture device and a way to extract information. In the mid-50s, MKUltra recruited George White, an agent from the Federal Bureau of Narcotics, to run a truly bizarre project within MKUltra called Operation Midnight Climax, in which unwitting participants would be lured to a safe house in San Francisco by undercover sex workers, where they were drugged and then observed and plumbed for information, which White determined was easiest to extract right after they'd climaxed. White later wrote to Sidney Gottlieb, I toiled wholeheartedly in the vineyards because it was fun, fun, fun. 
Where else could a red-blooded American boy lie, kill, cheat, steal, rape, and pillage with the sanction and blessing of the all-highest? Cool bucket list, bro. According to author John Marks in his book The Search for the Manchurian Candidate, The CIA and Mind Control, The Secret History of the Behavioral Sciences, published in 91, LSD was not the only substance MKUltra was testing for use on enemies. He wrote... Their TSS, Technical Services Staff, scientists tested such MKUltra specialties as stink bombs, itching and sneezing powders, and diarrhea inducers. TSS's Ray Treakler, the Stanford chemist, sent these harassment substances out to California for testing by White, along with such delivery systems as a mechanical launcher that could throw foul-smelling objects 100 yards, glass ampules that could be stepped on in a crowd to release any of Treakler's powers, a fine hypodermic needle to inject drugs through the cork in a wine bottle, and drug-coated swizzle sticks. Honestly, it sounds like some middle school boys club, or like if the boys from Captain Underpants joined the CIA. Stink bombs? Honestly. Around the same time White and his band of merry sociopaths were watching other people have sex and perfecting methods of inducing diarrhea in the name of patriotism, other branches of MKUltra were running other experiments with truly terrifying implications. In 1957, 40-year-old Velma Orlikow was diagnosed with postpartum depression and was admitted to the Allen Memorial Institute in Montreal for treatment. What Velma and her family didn't know was that the Allen Memorial Institute was home to the CIA-funded program that ran experiments on completely unsuspecting patients in the hopes, it seems, of figuring out how to control someone's mind under the direction of Scottish-born psychiatrist Donald Ewan Cameron. Dr. Cameron was a confusing and, as far as I'm concerned, confused man. For one thing, he believed that Nazism was essentially a mental illness, which, sure, I'm on board with that. But then, confoundingly, he believed the solution to curing Nazism was basically ethnic cleansing. He believed Germans, not just Nazis, all Germans, shouldn't be allowed to breed or lead. It's a lot. And so Cameron and his team went to work essentially scrambling Velma's brain by putting her and other unwitting patients into a medically induced coma and playing hours of tapes of himself talking. He also subjected her to electroshock therapy. If she resisted treatment, she was gaslighted by the doctors into believing that resisting treatment meant she didn't love her family enough to get better. Velma's granddaughter, Sarah Ann Johnson, remembers her grandmother coming back from these treatments a different woman. In an interview for The Globe and Mail in 2009, Johnson said, When I was little, I used to go every day and spend a couple of hours at my nan's house after school, waiting for my parents to finish work. There were always so many books and magazines stacked up everywhere in her house, and I used to think, wow, she is so smart to have read all this stuff. It was only later that I understood it could take her a month to read a newspaper or a week to write a note. Before the hospital, she had been a huge reader, but now she was just sitting there in the middle of her own failure. Johnson believed the program at the Allen Institute was looking for a real Manchurian candidate, 
referring to the novel and two movies about a top-secret program in which former soldiers are programmed to do the bidding of whoever knows the secret code words to trigger them. I would argue that Velma Orlikow and other mothers with postpartum depression were not, like, top-pick choices for mind-wiped, government-planted political operatives. I doubt they were hoping Velma would run for office and do the bidding of the men behind the curtain or become a subliminally-triggered government assassin. I would argue that the people running the program at the Allen Institute were more likely testing methods to train someone more fit for running for office or assassinations. Then again, I guess, who better to do the government's nefarious bidding than an unsuspecting middle-aged housewife? Notorious mob boss Whitey Bulger alleged that he was a willing participant in MK Ultra mind control experiments while serving time at a penitentiary in Atlanta. In a first-person account he wrote in 2016 for Ozzy, Bulger claimed that in exchange for very little time off his sentence, he and eight or nine other inmates were subjected to massive doses of acid. He wrote, In minutes, the drug would take over, and about eight or nine men, Dr. Pfeiffer and several men in suits who were not doctors, would give us tests to see how we reacted. Eight convicts in a panic and paranoid state, total loss of appetite, hallucinate. The room would change shape, hours of paranoia and feeling violent. We experienced horrible periods of living nightmares and even blood coming out of the walls. Guys turning to skeletons in front of me. I saw a camera change into the head of a dog. I felt like I was going insane. The men in suits would be in a room and hook me up to machines asking questions like, Did you ever kill anyone? Would you kill someone? Two men went psychotic. They had all the symptoms of schizophrenia. They had to be pried loose from under their beds, growling, barking, and frothing at the mouth. They put them in a strip cell down the hall. I never saw or heard of them again. The only official death associated with MKUltra was of Agent Frank Olson, who was unwittingly dosed with acid at a CIA retreat in 1953. A few days later, he supposedly leapt to his death from his hotel room in New York City. But the autopsy his family ordered found injuries on his body that most likely occurred before the fall, leading his family to believe he was murdered. The CIA never admitted to murdering one of its own, of course, but his family was awarded $750,000 and an apology by the Ford administration and the CIA. Not for killing him, I'm sure. Just for the whole illegal drugging that happened to most likely probably lead to him, wink, wink, jumping out a window. By the mid-1960s, MKUltra had fizzled out. I don't know why. I'd like to think it's because they grew a conscience and were like, wait a minute, what we're doing is very, very wrong. But most likely, the experiments were mostly failing, only succeeding in scrambling people's brains, and they were running out of funding. In 1974, the New York Times published an article exposing MKUltra, and in 1976, President Ford signed an executive order making it illegal to experiment on people without their consent, which we can now file under, I can't believe they had to make a law for that. And even after that law was passed, of course, women were still being forcibly sterilized in prisons and ICE detainment camps all the way up until at least 2020. 
Of course, passing a law didn't mean the damage wasn't already done, and not just the physical damage to the people whose minds had been unethically manipulated by the government sworn to protect them, but the damage to whatever trust still existed between the people and their creepy Uncle Sam. He was already seeming like the one uncle in your family who you do everything you can to avoid sitting next to at Thanksgiving. The one who hugs you too long and leaves his hand on your knee way past anything considered innocuous. The one who insists on making comments about what a beautiful young woman you're becoming. That fucking guy. By now, he was outright someone you actively campaigned to have disinvited to family functions. Now he was like the creepy uncle who got into fistfights at Easter brunch and who you caught more than once going through grandma's purse. Like, just openly not a good guy. And at this point, the conditions were ripe for conspiracy theories that on their own would seem preposterous. But on top of what we knew about suspicious government activity now seemed pretty plausible. MKUltra may not have produced an army of human robots ready to do the government's bidding, but that hasn't stopped a cohort of folks from claiming that another, even more nefarious top-secret government program picked up where MKUltra left off and succeeded where its predecessor failed. If MKUltra was top-secret, the Monarch Project is some next-level, two-step verification, please-check-your-authenticator app, fingerprint-encoded, cornea-scan, double-key-safe-within-a-safe-within-a-safe type of top-secret shit. Though, oddly, it seems to involve many, many more conspirators than its parent project MKUltra ever did. Then again, here I am, essentially Joe Nobody, and I've heard about it. I am, historically speaking, the very last person to know any juicy gossip, so if I'm telling you about it, you can bet pretty much everyone knows about it. In 1995, married couple Kathy O'Brien and Mark Phillips self-published a book called Transformation of America, in which they laid out the tale of Kathy's years as a victim of the Monarch Project and Mark's heroic undertaking of saving her. As far as I can tell, this ushered the Monarch Project into mainstream cultural conversation. Before then, it was just whispers among people who really knew what was going on, a.k.a. conspiracy theorists. The Monarch Project allegedly is an offshoot of MKUltra in which subjects, the majority of whom are female, are recruited, trafficked, and subject to years of truly brutal torture in order to program them to respond to trigger words, whereupon they will mindlessly carry out whatever task they're ordered to do. Essentially, it's the evil sci-fi bits from MKUltra with a predatory and sexist twist. According to blogger and conspiracy theorist Ron Patton, whose sources mostly include other conspiracy theorists, these victims come from, quote, orphanages, foster care homes, or incestuous families with a long history of pedophilia. There also appears to be a pattern of family members affiliated with government or military intelligence agencies, end quote. As the story goes, these children are then abused and tortured so much that they develop dissociative personality disorder, which supposedly provides a perfect environment for reprogramming the brain. Someone who has had their brain reprogrammed is called an alter. It's hard to get a good handle on what these alters are supposedly trained to do, but Patton claims it has to do with New World Order shit. Patton lays out the six levels of mind control in the project. Alpha, Beta, Delta, Theta, Omega, and Gamma. 
Basically, in the alpha phase, the victim is programmed to have, quote, extremely pronounced memory retention, along with substantially increased physical strength and visual acuity, end quote. By the Delta level, quote, subjects are devoid of fear, very systematic in carrying out their assignment, self-destruct or suicide instructions are layered in at this level, end quote. Which is particularly confusing when you consider that soldiers in the military who exhibit no apparent fear of death are generally discharged. Though I suppose Ron Patton and his cronies would tell you it's because they're sold into the Monarch Project, having already shown an aptitude for Delta-level programming. It seems to me the only orders the Monarch Project victims carry out are drug running and sex work. Call me uninformed, but I don't think those two things are going to help usher in the global state of the United Nations or whatever these New World Order folks thinks is going to happen under the New World Order. Whatever these orders are, they're delivered through subliminal messaging, frequently through Disney animated movies for some reason. I guess there's a lot of Monarch Project higher-ups employed at Disney, which would rely on alters being Disney fans, which is a pretty big if. For example, Patton claims Disney's Pocahontas, a movie I am thrilled to say I have never seen, is filled with subliminal programming. Patton says, quote, A prime example of how subliminal programming works is by looking at the recent Disney cinematic sensation Pocahontas, curiously billed as their 33rd, highest degree in the Scottish Rite Freemasonry, animated movie, end quote. Of course, Pocahontas was Disney's 33rd film, so there's absolutely nothing curious about billing it as such. He goes on to say something about how the use of the willow tree imagery in the film is, I guess, used to program any alter who happens to be watching that particular film. So, Kathy O'Brien's story is the only one out there from an alleged Monarch Project victim, and it's a lot. And I do mean a lot. But this isn't hardcore history, so I don't have another hour and a half to lay it out for you. In a nutshell, Kathy claims her parents sold her to the Monarch Project when she was young, after having been sexually abused for years by her father. Kathy alleges she was used as a sex slave for people high up in the government who couldn't risk hiring a sex worker who might try to blackmail them. She was also apparently a drug runner. She wrote, At that time, it was 1978. And it was determined that I had endured sufficient trauma to carry out my first trial run operation. An enormous quantity of cocaine had been flown in on one of these operations, and I was to deliver it into the neighboring state of Arkansas. By that time, Bill Clinton's drug operation was in full swing. He was governor of Arkansas. I delivered this cocaine to a remote airport on Washita Forest, which I have since identified as Mina Airport. I also delivered a little packet of information and a small quantity of cocaine, a personal stash, from J. Bennett Johnston to Bill Clinton. I delivered it to Bill Clinton and he cut out two lines of the coke and he did inhale. That certainly wasn't the only time I saw Bill Clinton using cocaine. J. Bennett Johnston subjected me to some other mind manipulation that involved, instead of an occult theme, an alien theme. Now, these guys who were manipulating my mind and programming me for mind control purposes and these criminals in control of our country as well claimed to be gods, demons, and aliens in order that I feel totally helpless 
in order that I felt they were beyond my realm to affect. It certainly worked at the time. Jay Bennett Johnston told me that he was an alien. He told me that he'd been part of the Philadelphia experiment, and when the ship disappeared, it came back as a spaceship. I mean, okay. O'Brien also claimed to have been ordered to have sex with then-Vice President George Bush, who she alleged was strung out on heroin. There are a lot of holes in her husband Mark Phillips' story, too. For one thing, he claims to have learned about the Monarch Project during his time working at NASA in the 60s and 70s in Woodland Hills, California. And it was this knowledge of the program that allowed him to recognize Kathy as an altar and save her by bringing her to Alaska to deprogram her. But writer and conspiracy theorist Martin Cannon, writing for Visitations magazine in 1997, points out that Phillips would have been too young to have worked at such a high-level position at NASA in the 60s, and that there is absolutely no evidence of there being a branch of NASA in Woodland Hills, California. Phillips claims to have all kinds of proof and documentation, but he has never produced any. Martin wrote, Little about the basic monarch theory struck me as technically implausible. Indeed, this putative project seems in many ways the logical extension of MK Ultra. Unfortunately, the only documentation I ever saw consisted of unsworn testimony written by Kathy O'Brien, in which she accused various political and entertainment figures of participation in the plot. And that's the bottom line. Mark and Kathy's stories never come backed by hard evidence. When Kathy claimed on the radio that a Vermont senator had sexually abused her in an L.L. Bean store located in that state, a caller pointed out that the L.L. Bean company maintains no stores in Vermont. Kathy rationalized the problem away. There's always a rationalization. And just to make matters pluperfectly surreal, Mark Phillips has privately admitted to at least one researcher that he, Phillips, concocted the name Project Monarch just to see who would pick it up. At this point, an honest investigator can only feel aggravated and dispirited, which may be the entire point of this charade. In fact, ritual abuse claimants throughout the country had spoken darkly of a Project Monarch well before Mark and Kathy came on the scene. Now, skeptics can posit that Mark Phillips contaminated the testimony of others, even though the chronology argues against this scenario. It's not just Martin who doubts their story. Noted conspiracy theorist Jim Keith also found their story too off the rails, even for him. And he was pretty off the rails himself. You know me, stranger. I'm not usually the one to agree with a whack job conspiracy theorist, but on this one, I gotta side with them and say the idea that MK Ultra might have spawned an even more evil offshoot that trafficked people for sex is not that far fetched. But the only testimony we have is from two people whose credibility is questionable, to say the least. I suppose it's theoretically possible to break someone's brain to the point where you can make them incredibly suggestible. Of course, it could be part of the brainwashing to plant completely bananas things that if someone does come forward, they sound so bonkers, their whole story is thrown into doubt. Like, during the programming, they're like, if you ever get caught, tell them we're all aliens. Tee hee hee hee. 
It turns out someone very close to me knows someone who claims to have been a victim of the Monarch Project and described a lot of the same kinds of things that Kathy O'Brien described in her book. She was abused by a family member when she was young and maintains that she was sold into the Monarch Project, was trafficked, and describes the levels laid out in O'Brien and Phillips' books. I don't know how she got out of the project. My loved one met her after she claimed she was brought in by the FBI to testify against the Monarch Project. And, of course, there are a lot of things that go on in our government that are top secret. So if there were hearings in which she was supposed to have testified, it's theoretically possible that we, the general public, were never made aware of them. And I hate to say this, but it is possible that this person suffered so much abuse as a child that she developed dissociative personality disorder and came across O'Brien and Phillips' book at some point and conflated it with her own life. That kind of thing is very common with dissociative personality disorder. Then again, that could be exactly what they want us to believe. At this point, it's an established fact that there are some pretty awful people out there who believe certain other kinds of people exist for their own entertainment, service, and general betterment of their own lives. Do I think there are people out there who would take advantage of vulnerable children? Yes. Do I think there are so many people involved in a sex trafficking slash drug running slash New World Order top secret organization that they can control Disney movies? No. Do I think arms of such an operation would be found in the basements of pizza restaurants in Washington, D.C.? No. Do I think that if there were that many people involved, there would be leaks all over the place? Yes. Perhaps the scariest thing about mind control is that we are all victims of it to one degree or another by virtue of the overwhelming amount of information we're fed that's controlled by a number of corporations, all owned by a very small handful of people. Maybe this sounds tinfoil hatty, but anyone who spends enough time watching cable news or scrolling through social media is being manipulated in ways they probably aren't aware of. We are being cajoled into what to buy, what to think, how to vote. We are, one might say, unwitting participants in experiments and manipulation. Which would be illegal, except that we keep clicking I accept on those terms and agreements. So, do I think the Monarch Project is real? No, probably not. But honestly, even after all this, I can't say for sure. Maybe that is the real manipulation. The knowledge that such a thing could be possible and the understanding that we are basically powerless to expose, alter, or overcome that. We like to believe here in America that we are free individuals, exercising our liberty and agency by doing and being what we choose. But we are always operating with the subconscious idea that this freedom is an illusion and that someone else might just be holding the strings after all. Next time on Strange and Unexplained, what if you could visit anywhere in the world, anywhere in the entire universe, without leaving the comfort and safety of your own home. Where would you go? Who would you visit? What would you do? We'll take an out-of-body experience into the realm of astral projection. 
We have a lot of fascinating and bizarre stories to share with you this season, but we want to hear your episode suggestions as well. If you have an idea for something we should cover, whether it's a well-known case or something that happened in your town that the world hasn't heard about yet, go to our website, strangeandunexplainedpod.com, and fill out the contact form. Strange and Unexplained is a production of the Obsessed Network and is produced by Becca Gregorio and Natalie Grillo. This episode was written by me, Daisy Egan, edited by Eve Kerrigan, and researched by Jess McKillop. Our audio editor and mixer is Jennifer Swatek. Our voice actors for this episode were Luther Creek, Ryan Garcia, and Andrea Jones-Sojola. Our social channels are run and managed by Amy Sapp. A complete list of our sources for each episode is available on our website. If you like our show, help us out by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We are at SNUpod. And check out the Strange and Unexplained with Daisy Egan Facebook group to join in the conversation. 